thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. However, this being a Friday, it is time for The Naked Scientist. Do you have a question for The Naked Scientist? Give us a call on 011-883-0702. And of course, in Cape Town on 021-446-0567, you know it gets incredibly busy squeezing in your questions. And I love your questions as much as I do the insights of Dr. Chris, uh, who is just so filled with knowledge, but um, sometimes also you display your own curiosity with the kind of questions that have piqued your interest. 011-883-0702 or in Cape Town on 021-446-0567. It is perfectly acceptable instead to SMS us your question for him as well on 31702 or 31567. You can also tweet us a question. Uh, just use the handle in your tweet at Eusebius or alternatively at Radio 702 or at Cape Talk. And of course, the Naked Scientist is so popular, the lines are going crazy. We'll put up as many of your calls as possible in a second. Let me first see whether we have finally got Chris on the line. Hello, Chris. Good morning. Are you well? I think so, yeah. <laughs> that was a very pregnant pause. Was that just a grammatical pause or What? No, it's just it's just a it's just the processing delay and the machinery. No, I'm kidding. Oh, right, no, I'm good. Okay. I'm I'm fine. No, I was actually considering your question and giving it uh, the, the time it deserved. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love your thoughtfulness. <laughs> We're going to start, right. of course, as we always do, with a story from the week of science. I don't know what uh, arrangement you and the production team have made, but it says something here, which for me, going through my first young midlife crisis, seems quite promising. That apparently scientists have created a drug that can reverse the aging process for mice and men? Mm. Well, we hope ultimately humans, but at this stage they've tested it on mice. This is Peter de Keyser, who's a researcher from Erasmus Medical Centre in the Netherlands. And this is a paper in the journal Cell this week. What this group of researchers have managed to do is to reverse the aging process in experimental mice. And the way that this agent works is that it targets what are called senescent cells. Now, as you age, you build up in your tissues cells that become worn out. And instead of killing themselves, which the majority of cells that become worn out do, for some reason we don't fully understand yet, some cells become senescent. And this means they switch off, they withdraw from society, they don't do much, but they don't do nothing. And one of the things they do is to spurt out and splurge out various growth factors and inflammatory signals, which are not good for your health. So if you remove them, you become healthier. And what they did is to find out how you can trick these cells into thinking they need to die, killing them off using this drug they've invented. And when they do this, they can take mice that are the mouse equivalent of 80-year-olds and they can reverse a lot of the decline that these mice show as they get old. They have more vigour, more energy, they move faster, mm. uh, patches of hair that they've lost regrow and their kidney function improves dramatically as well. And so what they said to me when I spoke to them earlier in the week is, well, 
you know, this is very exciting. We need to sort of do more experiments to make sure this is going to be potentially safe. But mm. it could have enormous contributions to reversing the human ageing process, helping people to live healthier old ages, and also helping people who are having cancer therapy. Because one of the things it can also do is to reduce the toxicity of chemotherapy and increase the number of uh, cells that are killed by chemotherapy, leaving more healthy tissue behind. So it's very exciting. That sounds incredibly exciting. I hope it uh, arrives in time uh, before the march of um, science uh, takes over. Well, that won't matter if it works, will it? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Let's get to our first call on the line. Uh, Dr. Chris, we've got Ryan with us. Ryan, go ahead. What is your question for the Naked Scientist? Hi there. Um, I wanted to find out um, if it wasn't for uh, dams, man-made dams and waterways, etc., what or how would we be living differently? Like, would there be uh, different areas that we wouldn't be able to populate based on the way the river runs? Would we have different ecosystems in place across different parts of the country? I was just curious as to how much of an impact... Um, we've made on the way we live by building dams and, and waterways and those sort of structures. Thank you, Ryan. Lovely ecological question. Hello, Ryan. Well, the answer is it would have a dramatic difference. And if you look at the map of the world as it was historically, before we had the engineering prowess that we do today to dam waterways and divert water, then where did people live? People lived at rivers, They also lived around the coasts of countries because water is absolutely critical for us to live. It brings us food, it brings us water, it brings us the opportunity to irrigate and grow crops so we can have more food. It brings us transport, it brings us the opportunity to clean things up and wash things down and that goes back thousands of years. So the answer is were we not able to divert water, store water and reroute water then we would have a very different geography to where we now live but that's relatively recent in in real terms because we haven't been doing that kind of thing for very long a good example of this um in western australia is the uh place called kalgoorlie kalgoorlie is about 500 miles inland from the coast in western australia it's a gold rush town people flocked out there when people discovered there was gold in the mountains Unfortunately, Kalgoorlie is very, very dry. There's no water there. And so people then had to build a pipeline that was 500, 800 miles, 800 kilometres long to get water from Perth into Kalgoorlie. And so that that really tested their engineering ability. But it now means that uh, the ability to deliver water to that area means that an area that was previously totally inhospitable and no one could live there in any appreciable numbers or in any appreciable quality now can. OK, let's go to Kempton Park. Tendai, good morning. Hi, you too, yes. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm good, thank you. I've got a question for Chris. Um, and it's a question I've had since I was young, a little boy, but it sort of disappeared over the years and just came back to me today. Uh, I want to know why birds uh, uh, sort of wake up at the same time uh, every day and even in different countries. You know, I'm an engineer based in South Africa from them, and I see that, you know, it's Four in the morning, the birds, you hear them chirping outside at four in the morning. Here in South Africa, it's the same. I stayed in Tanzania for a while. It's the same. Why is that? So they're trying to catch the worm. (laughs) (laughs) The early bird and all that. Yeah. Chris? Absolutely true. No, it's true. Um, Birds, just like us, have a body clock. This is a cluster of nerve cells in their brains, which is wired up to their eyes, which enables them to set that clock. And they have this wake-up signal that triggers in their brain early in the morning and gets them up 
just like you and I, because we're day-active creatures. Birds are very visual. They rely on seeing to, to do things, and so they need a good supply of light because they see in colour like we do. They have very good vision. They're not so good at night, so they tend to roost at night. They're up during the day, and exactly as you say, the early bird catches the worm. If you get up early, you can go and find food. You can do it before the day becomes too hot and before the animals that you want to eat go and hide for the day because many of them are things that uh, want to retreat from the sunlight like worms and things so that's why the birds rely on their body clock to get them up early in the morning when they have the opportunity to feed and do other things that birds do during the day john hello welcome to the show oh, hi how are you very good thanks john what is your question for chris the question is this i've got a couple of friends with uh sugar diabetes and they get sores under their feet and on their elbows and all this. And the one, one of them looked on the internet and found out that if you use raw honey, this is the cure for it. You treat it. It takes a bit of time, but it does go smaller. Why is this? What was the cure again? I, I didn't hear what you said. Raw honey. Honey, right. Honey on, onto the soil. They, they yeah. treat it every every day, and they put raw honey on, and it does go. Okay, does yeah. raw honey okay. have curative properties? Well, the the condition being referred to is diabetes. Mm. Diabetes, um, she said specifically. Said specifically, sugar diabetes. This is diabetes mellitus, and. This is where you run a glucose level in the bloodstream which is too high and if you have glucose levels that are too high, it's damaging to nerve cells, it's also damaging to blood vessels. Both of these things make you at risk of having skin ulcers. You can have neuropathic ulcers where if you can't feel that there is damage going on to your skin, you're more likely to damage that skin repeatedly and get infections there. Also, if the blood supply to the skin is poor, you're more prone to get infections because you can't bring in the various things like the immune system to deal with infections. So, um, why would putting honey on the skin help? Well, if you have skin ulceration, which diabetics are more prone to get, especially on bits of their body like their feet, where you can get injuries, honey is a very strong sugar solution. There are also other chemicals added to it by the bees that make the honey, which appear to have antibacterial properties. So the combination of a very strong sugar solution and the other chemicals the bees add are quite powerfully suppressive to the growth of microorganisms, including common skin microorganisms that cause ulcerating damage to the skin, like Staphylococcus aureus. So I suspect that part of this comes down to those effects suppressing the growth of harmful microbes on the skin. And people have been doing trials, actually, of skin pads which are impregnated with various honey extracts, and they have reported some success in this sort of situation. Chris, let's take a question from the Cheap Seats on <coughs> Twitter. Uh, here's a question from one of my most intellectually curious friends. I don't even understand it, uh, but I'm sure you will. Bandile wants to know, how does quantum computing work? Right. Let's first start off with a normal, what we call a normal computer. Normal computers work in binary. This means a naught or a one. Yes. And this is because we use computers in a way that involves logic. So we say, if this is true, do that. If it's false, do that. Mm -hmm. So binary lends itself to that because you can have noughts or ones, a mm -hmm. circuit that's on 
or it's off. I'm still with you. Now, what that does do is that it means that you can do very fast serial processing, computers we have today incredibly powerful, but there are limits because what you don't have is all of that grey scale. If you imagine that you've got black is 1 and white is naught, you've got either a black or a white situation, binary. Hmm. What about if you could actually have all of the possible colours of grey, and that's a bad phrase, but all of the shades of grey, hmm. 50 shades of grey perhaps, <laughs> between naught and 1, uh, you could actually have a lot more possibilities being considered all at once in parallel. Hmm. So the whole idea of the, the quantum computing move is to actually have a system where you could have not just noughts and ones, but all of these different shades of grey in between. And so it enormously increases the power of a potential computer because you could do lots of these examples or lots of calculations in parallel with each other. There was, thank you, you're going to say, not just noughts and ones, but noughts and crosses. Let's go back to the lines. Hello, Moss. Hey, you see yourself today. I'm all right. I'm all good, I'm all good. I've got a question for the naked scientist there. Yeah, Bo. Uh, yes. Uh, my question is, uh, is honey more healthier than sugar? And if that's the case, why? <laughs> okay. Chris? Well, you don't eat the honey because the one thing that a person with diabetes wants to do is to maintain the best possible control of their blood sugar level that they can. Now, that may be a combination of eating a diligent, judicious diet, weight loss, and also careful compliance with other medication. Um, but you certainly wouldn't want to eat extra sugar if you're diabetic unless you're running a very low blood sugar and having a hypo, and then obviously you need to bring your blood sugar up very quickly. But I think the reason honey when it's applied to the skin in the way that we alluded to earlier is beneficial is because there isn't just sugar in honey. There are other things that the bees add when they make the honey and those other things, probably through evolution, the bees don't want bugs nicking their honey. The bees have added naturally antimicrobial properties or chemicals with antimicrobial properties to their honey and so when you put those on your skin, those properties are brought to bear against the bugs that are trying to give you an ulcer. Mm. 22 minutes after 10, let's take a little bit of a breather and then we're going to take a couple more of your questions. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Diane in Morningside, welcome to the show. Hi, it is. Hi, Chris. My question hello. is, is... Hello? Can you hear me? We can hear you, Diane. Okay. If normal body temperature is 37 degrees... Why is a person uncomfortable if the outside temperature is 5 or 10 degrees lower? Right. Okay. Hi, Diane. I get the question. Okay. Why do you feel uncomfortable when, although you're much hotter than the environment, the environment temperature is approaching you? Well, the reason for this is that, yes, your body temperature is 37 degrees C. Your body is making you have that temperature by burning fuel, sugar, and other things are burned in your body by your metabolic system, and this releases heat as a byproduct, and that keeps you warm. You have to do that continuously because your body is radiating heat out into the environment and losing heat out into the environment all the time. And your body is set up anticipating you're going to lose heat at a certain rate in order to maintain your body temperature of 37 degrees. It's mm. a bit like having a hot cup of tea. If you just had a cup of tea and you left it on the side, it would slowly cool down. If you left the cup of tea on the stove with the cooker supplying the same rate of heat into the cup of tea as the heat as the tea was losing, the tea would stay at a constant temperature. That's how a sort of tea urn works, isn't it? So when you're in a very warm environment, your rate of heat loss drops because the rate of heat loss is determined by the difference in temperature of your body 
versus your surroundings. And if the surroundings are very cold, the rate of heat loss, the rate at which energy is flowing away from your body is far greater than if you're in a hot environment. Therefore, if you're in a hot environment, you're losing heat more slowly. This means your body has to put into play various other mechanisms and manoeuvres to make you cool down. This includes diverting more blood to the skin surface, which makes you glow and go red. Also, sweating, which e evaporates water from the skin surface, and that takes energy with it, and that cools you down faster. And also making you seek out shade and so on. So we take all these steps in order to help ourselves to lose heat more efficiently as the temperature goes up and we're more thermally challenged. And it's all to do, therefore, with the rate at which your body can lose heat physically. Hmm. 24 minutes after 10 in the unlikely event that you've just joined us. You're, of course, listening to the familiar voice of Chris Smith, the naked scientist. If you want to squeeze in a question, you've got five minutes left. Zero double one double eight three zero seven zero two, And in Cape Town, on 021 Ndumiso, good morning. Good morning uh, to Eusebius and the naked scientist. My question is, there's a very interesting race brewing to, for the right to be the first to put men in Mars between Mars 1, SpaceX, and NASA. Uh, I just wanted to ask the naked scientist, who does he think will be the first to do it? By the way, I'm rooting for SpaceX as a South African because of the Elon Musk angle. Thank you. <laughs> I don't really have a strong opinion or, or really enough knowledge to give an informed answer on this. The bottom line is, I don't think it really matters who does it first, as long as they do it well, do it safely, and no one gets hurt because this is incredibly dangerous and um, someone's got to be those pioneers, someone's got to be the first, but let's make sure they do it safely. On the SMS line, what is the fourth dimension, asks Anonymous. Well, it depends how you define all this, but uh, if you've got X and Y for left and right, so if you imagine a bit of paper and you've got uh, X and Y dimensions and then you've got an, a Z dimension mm -hmm. which is up and down and then you've got a fourth dimension which is time. Okay. Let's go to Emil. Is it Emil in Randburg? It's me. Hi, Chris. Um, Hello. I asked, you a I asked you a question about riding a motorbike and pushing the handlebar to the left and to the right, and that between 30 and 40 kilometers per hour, the forces swap over. Do you remember that question I asked you? Um, yeah, it was a while ago. But um, anyway, how can I help that's this a, time? That's a, yeah, no, no. I just wanted to know if you found the answer. Well, to be honest, it was years ago, and I've forgotten. Um, what was the, what <laughs> I, was I did, the question? The, uh, the, no, the, qu the question was about when you're when you when you ride a motorcycle. Yes. Intuitively, you think, well, I'll steer in the same way as I steer a car, mm. and uh, you turn the wheel, and you you don't actually do this with a motorcycle. You actually steer a motorcycle by leaning. And there are differences in the way you lean as you go and approach different bends at different speeds. And so we were discussing this. And actually, there was a very fertile discussion about this on the Naked Scientist forum. We've got a forum on our website. If you go to nakedscientist.com slash forum, um, you can, there's a search there. You can look it up. We actually had a long discussion about this amongst the members of the forum. And we reached a reasonable explanation in the end. So I would respectfully refer you to that discussion mm. because we did, we did actually talk about this in some detail. <laughs> and it should be findable on there. And give the Naked Scientist a break. There's a million questions. I can't remember all of them. Let's go to Madren. I think we've got, is it Gorge? George? Yes, it's, it's Josh. Oh, Josh, okay. My question is, I saw this ad that says this headache powder gets to work in less than 10 seconds. Now, I don't. I think that is misleading. So I want to know if it can work in less than 10 seconds and if at all these things work to cure a headache. 
Right. Okay, I think that they probably do have some benefit in 10 seconds, but then so would pure water. Because I think the instant benefit that you feel and the relief you feel is the placebo effect, which is incredibly powerful. Up to a third of the pain-killing effect of any medication is just the placebo effect, which is your brain wanting to believe there's going to be a benefit, and so you feel better instantly. Most of these medicines work because you take them into your body, they're absorbed. In some cases, like aspirin, they can be absorbed through the wall of the stomach. Often they have to get into the small intestine before they begin to be absorbed, but that can happen quite quickly, you know, minutes to tens of minutes. Once they're into the bloodstream, they circulate and visit every tissue in the body. And the way these things are selective is that most pain occurs because of inflammation, which is a biochemical cascade. You've got reactions going on that produce various chemicals that wind up your nervous system and trigger pain to be experienced in that part of the body. So what you do with a painkiller is you put a drug in which interrupts the ability of the body to make those inflammatory signals so that although the, you haven't got pain all over your body, you block the ability to make the pain signals all over your body, so therefore where that inflammatory process is trying to happen, it is harder for it to happen, and so the pain is damped down. And that is why if you've got a painful elbow and you take a paracetamol, it will still make your elbow less uncomfortable, it, it, even though it's visiting every part of your body because that's where the inflammation is. And it's the same with a headache. You've, you've in some cases with a headache, you've got some inflammation happening um, in, in the meninges, probably because of, say, a virus, which is causing a, a bit of irritation to the meninges. If you damp down the inflammation, the irritation of the nerve fibres in those meninges is interrupted and it doesn't hurt anymore. Final question from, from Twitter. I don't know if there's an answer. If there is, I think you'd be a rich man. Um, how do you cure a hangover, Chris? Well, actually, the best therapy for a hangover is not to get drunk in the first place. <laughs> but that's, a, that's an awkward answer. The, 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 the way to treat one once you've got one is the same stuff that we give people who have become very dehydrated and hungry. Oral rehydration therapy. People who've had bad mm. dose of diarrhea and vomiting, for example, they take diorolite or yes, oral right, rehydration yeah. therapies. Yes. So literally mixtures of sugar and salt, which replace the lost body fluids and reset your chemical equilibrium. And I have found this to be excellent, along with two paracetamol, on the odd <laughs> occasion, very rare occasion, that one might overindulge. Beautiful stuff. Chris, have a hangover-free weekend. Thanks so much I'll for sharing your best. knowledge. I'll do my best. Yeah, I will. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Cheers. That was, of course, this week's edition of The Naked Scientist. And yes, we'll podcast it. And as always, anything that you've missed, a discussion, you have FOMO when your friends are talking about it on WhatsApp and you were slaving away at work, Go to our website, 702.co.za. You can download all the podcasts there of all of your favorite shows, not just this one. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.